Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of April 25th, 2020, otherwise known as COVID pandemic lockdown North America week six. Uh, you are here with your host, Charles Hain. I'm here with No Film School editor-in-chief, George Edelman. Hello. And No Film School writer, Michelle De La Tour. Hi, everyone. And we are recording, first off, going to let you guys all know we're using a brand new app called Zencaster to record this week. So just giving you that little clue in, let us know if you like the way it sounds on Twitter. We are going to be talking about post-COVID filming plans. A lot of great information came out on what the world of filmmaking is going to look like after these restrictions get lifted. We're also going to be talking about Canon's new cinema camera that came out this week. They came out with two things interesting to filmmakers. Many people think they're overpriced. Maybe they are. We have some opinions on that to talk about. In tech news, DaVinci Resolve came out with a, a small update. It's 16.2.1. Then we've got an Ask No Film School about what to do with the script once you've finished it and you're excited about it. All that this week on the No Film School podcast. Nice. All right. So our first story this week, we are beginning to finally see some information about what film sets are going to look like during uh, the initial stages of leaving lockdown. So this news is coming from a couple different places. First off, Sweden and Denmark. Sweden never did social distancing. Uh, for They've made the decision that they're not going to do social distancing. They're just going to do limited restrictions. They did some limited restrictions. Denmark did some stricter restrictions but lifted them on April 15th. So they're starting to sort of move into the next phase. And they released sort of online. You can find them. There are articles about them what their guidelines are for film sets. And then in North America, Deadline did a huge article talking to lots of people at networks and studios about like, what are we planning on for productions in the future? And uh, the DGA, DGA has announced that Steven Soderbergh, who directed the movie Contagion, which is one of those wonderful ironies of life that he worked on a movie that is all about this and is the first place a lot of us heard about things like social distancing. He's going to be heading up the DGA efforts to uh, come up with a plan for what this is going to look like. Now, theoretically, I mean, he's not an epidemiologist. I'm sure he's going to be working with some experts in the field, but everybody's really desperate to figure out like not only when can we get back to work because we all miss being on set, we all miss working, we all miss making movies, but also what is it going to look like when we get back to work? And there's a whole lot of different scenarios out there right now about how this is going to look. Um, there's one specific thing I also want to make sure we talk about today. Um, and that is like, uh, um, you know, immuno privilege is one way to put it, but like, uh, whether or not we're going to be in a situation where having been tested, having already had the disease and developed the antibodies privileges someone to work because that's a really complicated thorny issue. Before we get into the other stuff, I'll go into dig into that a little bit. If you're interested in this, there was a great article in the New York times about yellow fever in New Orleans in the 1830s and yellow fever was such a problem in New Orleans in the 1830s. But once you had it, you couldn't get it again, that literally you could not get a job if you hadn't had it. So people would move there. Immigrants would move there. There was a story about a German immigrant arriving in New Orleans and couldn't get work and deliberately self-infecting with yellow fever, which is a deadly disease. Many people die from it in order to get work. So we want to be really careful as we figure out how to restart, you know, because filmmakers love making movies. People need to work to make money. We don't want to create a situation in which people are incentivized to self-infect, but we also want to create safe sets. Is practice safe sets a hashtag yet? Because I feel like that's going to happen eventually. It will be now. I did a, I bought a website a year ago called unsafeset.com to create like a reporting portal. And why did I not buy practice safe set, 
set.com that is like my biggest regret because i guarantee if i go now it's going to be gone i just think that there's no conclusive evidence that this thing can't be had more than once yet or that there aren't going to be other versions of it because this is already another version this is uh this is a sequel there was a really great podcast on science versus that we should include in our show notes that uh specifically was 20 minutes talking about are we going to be able to be reinfected from this? Because most people learn about that, or at least in North America, with chickenpox, right? If you get chickenpox mm-hmm. once as a kid, you're promised when you're a kid. I remember so clearly being like <laughs> right. eight or nine right. and my mom being like, well, you've got it now, but that means you'll never get it again. What's Lies. interesting is that's Lies. actually kind of a lie. When you're in your 50s or 60s, your immune system weakens and you can get it again. And when you get it again in your 50s or 60s, it's called shingles and it's apparently miserable. It happened to a friend of mine and he was like, oh, this is the worst. Get vaccinated for shingles. The conclusion of the science versus on whether or not this is likely to be reinfectious is that looking at all the studies now, you likely build up some antibody response that will persist for some time. There are viruses that you don't develop an immunity to, but they're very rare and it is very unlikely at this point that this is one of them. It is likely that you will get some sort of immunity. What we won't know for a long time is how long that immunity lasts because your immune system recycles itself. So like it said with chickenpox, you get immunity, but that immunity wears off in your 40s or 50s. It is possible that you might get COVID, you know, you might get the Rona immunity, but it might only last five years. Like we just, that's the real unknown here. It is likely that you are going to get an immunity from it. It is so unknown how long that immunity lasts, which makes it even trickier to say, all right, well, then we're, we're going to start uh, using yeah. uh, that Yeah, I think testing. with sets and how sets work, there's a lot of really big variables that we have to, that we don't know the answers to, including whether or not someone with immunity is really immune. But I guess it sounds like we're going to mostly assume yes, at least for a time they are. There are sets are huge often, right? There's so many people and the lifestyle and the movement between them and the proximity of human beings. And, you know, there's a side thing to this, which is the industry wants to continue to create content. And there have been instances where, and we've got some stuff that's going to be up on nofilmschool.com about this very topic. There are instances where people are, are already creating things from quarantine. There are shows that are going on, like talk shows, and there's cooking shows where the star is at home, the person, the host, and maybe their kids or their spouse is shooting on a cell phone. And I think what this is all going to lead us to is a scary place of, well, wouldn't producers under some circumstances prefer this version of reality where they're not spending as much money and someone with an iPhone at home, and there's no set, and there's no crew, and there's no et cetera, et cetera. I've also heard, though, from other corners of the industry that there's a lot of pressure from producers to get things up and running again because they're currently renting office space that they're not using. I think this thing cuts multiple ways, and there's going to be a lot of different paths flowing forward from where we are now, and it's hard to foresee which way things will go. But... uh yeah, what do you I mean, what do you guys what do you guys think first sets will look like? Will they be taking people's temperature every morning when they show up? I think temperature checks are just going to become a part of our life more than once a day. I think it'll be three times a day. I think it'll probably be morning and lunch and maybe halfway through the set, you know, if if you're going past second meal, it's probably every meal you're getting a temperature check. 
you're definitely going to get temperature checks to fly. I think we can assume that that's yes. the new normal. I think, you know, the, the guidelines out in Denmark and Sweden are really fascinating because, you know, uh, production must enable social distancing. Maximum number of people on set is locate, is limited to 50. Uh, for an interior set, everybody has to have access to four square meters, which is about uh, 12 square feet of space. So, you know, your set size is going to be limited by how many people can fit in it. So if you're, if you're doing this, you know, you'll have to get the square footage for your location and that's going to limit how many people you're even allowed to bring with you. Uh, big crowd scenes are not uh, able to be responsibly executed. So you're going to see, I mean, we've already seen a lot of big crowd scenes move to VFX anyway, but we're absolutely going to see a bunch of big crowd scenes move over to VFX. It's going to be a difficult time to be an extra because there's not going to be nearly as many extra positions available. Yeah, well, we talk about the idea of background as like a thing in, in our past. Like, oh, there's no no reason to bring extra people because you could just, one of them could be sick. <laughs> like, It's just such a weird reality that we're stepping into where like, yeah, we can just create those people on a computer. But those future sets will look like the world we're in now. Have you found that when you're watching commercials and films that you you find yourself squirming because people are next to each other or they're hugging strangers and so in some weird way it's going to just reflect the world in which we're in a little bit more it's a great point it's a great point i was thinking about that in the way that like cell phones for example or so many things about like little things that change we've talked about like the way 9-11 changed travel and now you watch something old where someone can run to the gate or whatever and you think, oh, that's so weird. Like, it's just so not the world that I live in where you can just run yeah. right to the gate. Um, and yeah, I, I totally, I was watching something where it just occurred to me. It was like, wait, they're too close. Are they sheltered together? <laughs> I think that the people for which this is less scary to use the term, George, I think that you used are folks that were trained in the kind of all-in-one jackknife, uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of newsy stuff, right? So I've seen a lot of anchors kind of mic, I assume they're micing themselves now. And so in some weird way, we, a couple of years ago, we kind of went full circle. And if you were graduating out of grad school at that time, and you could do all the things, right, you could film and edit and mic yourself, then you could kind of go into news production and do that. And then depending on where you were, right, there's someone else who's filming or someone else who's recording audio. And now it's kind of all in one. I've seen newscasters film their own content with their phone in selfie mode, which has been really entertaining for me to watch. Um, <laughs> you know, they film themselves and their interviewers like in selfie mode. It's great. But that's Are they doing the their people. own makeup? Because that's the other thing, like makeup and hair. Like Yeah, anything for which you touch your you know, face um, or anywhere close to it. So miking up people. I love the six foot booms we're seeing, all those boom skills. But anyone who is well versed in the kind of all those things can make their own content right now. And it's from from wherever they are. And so I don't know if it's gone full circle so much as it's gone back to that kind of, well, I can do all the things now. Maybe that'll be easier. It You're reminding me that there is a great potential opportunity there's a need right now for people who can do all the things, including like even be on camera, like be their own host to like, you know, YouTubers and YouTube channels and all the things that people do where they host themselves and monetize. There's a vacuum for people who can do it all and do and and pull it off on a professional level from their living rooms and, you know, maybe 
fill the need that we have for somebody who's who's giving us fresh content that's like timely but feels professional and clean and doesn't have a hundred people involved in the creation of it. Um, just an interesting thing. Like maybe take advantage instead of uh, do nothing. Broadcast your own show. What was the movie where it took all the whole thing took place on a computer and it was filmed on a screen? Oh, I didn't see that, but I remember we had a bunch of articles about it. It's all webcam based. Exactly. I feel like that might be our future. <laughs> for I think we're going to see a bunch of those. But I want to dive in real quick to some of the actual restrictions in the yeah. uh, the Please. Sweden and Denmark film production because they're really fascinating. So there's all the ones that totally make sense, like masks need to be provided and like hair and makeup. You can't share hair and makeup between people and, you know, single servings of food. It's not going to be buffet style anymore. But then there's some really interesting ones that I actually find really fascinating. So like, you know, one that like didn't occur to me but makes total sense is Video Village should be outside. Even if you're on a set, we're so used to Video Village being on a set. But anytime I've done a day exterior, Video Village is outside. Like there's absolutely no reason, even if you're shooting on a set, you can't run Video Village outside and then you're getting fresh air and people don't have to be crowded so much together. And so Video Village should be outside, which is kind of like a, I think you're going to start to see a whole lot of that. Like you'll stop by a big studio facility and there'll be easy ups outside the buildings so that more things are outside and less are inside which I thought was interesting. There was a whole section on casting, including if you're casting a family who are required to interact, real families should be used, like cast families as a group. They also, and this is going to be really interesting in terms of North American laws when laws like this come out, um, in terms of on-screen talent, the Swedish laws, say, uh, the Swedish and Denmark rules say you're not allowed to cast anybody who's in increased risk of infection, which is fair. But they say, although we don't want to discriminate on the basis of age, this in effect means you can't cast anyone over the age of 70. And I can guarantee it's if we have rules like that. good thing they made the Irishman when they had the chance, right? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> They'll just age the other way. Go up, not down. But but that becomes an age discrimination lawsuit in North America. So it'll be interesting to see if we have a, a rule like that. Yeah, couldn't there be ways to build – like I was thinking about this with stars because how do you get stars – like safely in and out of a set. They're so critical and the projects they're in are not ones like you're talking about a commercial where you where a family, a real life family can be cast remotely and maybe shot at home or something. You can't do that with like Robert Downey Jr. and, you know, whoever else. Or you don't want to, because those aren't the projects. You know what I'm saying? So what's the solution gonna be? Like how are they gonna be on set and how are they gonna be handled? And obviously hair and makeup with people like that is extremely important. Is it gonna be done by someone who's getting their temperature taken every like 15 minutes or something? What's insurance policy gonna be like? Like what if the star gets it? You know? Mm. There's so many things that I have like new little like wrinkles in it that I have questions about. But even with aging, when you say like at risk, I think, oh, well, I guess if you have like a Robert De Niro, then there will be additional measures taken. But then I start thinking, what kind of measures? Like how how insane is it going to have to be to get Robert De Niro to set? And then does it become a question of if it's worth it or not? Is there a world in which people will just film actors separately and then cut that together all the time rather than bringing everyone to set at once? Probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of you're you're basically faking your two shot and putting it together later. We can already do it. That's how they made Sin City, right? Nobody for the original Sin City was in the room together. And the performances don't really seem like they were in the room together. 
Yeah, it, I remember seeing um, in the special features for maybe the first Star Wars prequel, they showed the you know the awe and wonder of how they wanted this establishing shot, and they wanted one piece of the establishing shot from this take and one piece of the establishing shot from this other take. And as they were showing it, I thought, wow, that's why the movie doesn't work. <laughs> like nobody, nobody in that scene was like, it wasn't like reacting to anything that was happening around them. And that made that pacing all so bizarre, but yeah, we could definitely, it easy. It would be easy to do that. So yeah, Robert De Niro can shoot on a green screen somewhere else and um but who lights that green screen who operate i mean right. i guess it could all be lit this the day before and then disinfected and then de niro shows up and like one camera operator is there to operate the or the camera operator can be a robot like we have yeah. remote camera heads now you know another thought i'm having is how much more important does the mandotanium become mandotanium <laughs> i call back to the mandotanium isn't that like part of the solution too like you can just clean up the whole room and change this the background to what it needs to be right you clean up the space and then a new guy comes in or girl and you shoot their stuff out and then the next person comes in <sighs> <laughs> It's just not, I mean, you know, making movies is like, it's hard work and it's exhausting and it's confusing, but it's also supposed to be fun. And that just seems so depressing. Like you show up to this empty stage and you hear a disembodied voice from someone in a hermetically sealed room <laughs> and they're like, all right, your first take, go stand over there, pretend you're fighting a dragon. And like a, a, a camera moves around you being controlled by a robot operator in a room you can't see. And you're just like, and then like the background changes to ancient Rome and you're like, Okay, I'm alone, but I'm in ancient Rome. It just seems so dark. So we have another we have pieces on a lot of these things. Every little piece of the puzzle of this bizarre dystopian film universe we're talking about, we've covered because we cover film tech. And I remember talking to Caleb Deschanel about shooting the Lion King, the quote unquote live action Lion King, and that piece is on No Film School, and it reminded me he was talking about virtual filmmaking in that he went into a room and had his vir his virtual reality goggles and and his video game controller basically and could like move the camera around in the pre-created space um he could you could do that with a pre-created space that even included the performances of real actors right like we're getting to the point where all these things can be stitched together into a very strange uh VR workflow and I have a feeling that a lot of people are talking about how to implement this stuff as soon as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also have a feeling that animated shows are going to do really well next year. I was about to say stop motion, anything making, anyone making quarantine stop motions, that's going to go through the roof, but also animated shows. Yeah. We're going to keep getting Rick and Morty. So we're going to have the creators of Solar Opposites, which is a new show from one of the Rick and Morty creators on the podcast. Nice. Um, so we're going to have that on the No Film School podcast or as an interview up on our on No Film School in the coming weeks. And I'm excited about that because, yeah, it's a great time for animation. So people who are animators or who have animation ideas should definitely look into pitching those and developing sizzles and proofs of concept. Everything we're talking about is expensive. Is there room, will there be indie movies for the next year? 
like everything they're describing is you need these massive sets with nobody in them. You need all of this equipment. You need like all of your hair and makeup tables need to be six meters apart. You need all of your, you know, individually wrapped foodstuffs, every, you know, like all of these things that they're talking about cost money. And I wonder where indie production is going to fall. I really wonder like how you're going to do student. I mean, I think about this because I'm an educator, how student films are going to get shot, but also how indie productions are going to get shot with all of these restrictions. Such a good question. I think we'll see tiny passion projects more than the middle range indie film, right? So you can get away, like kind of like the run and gun style, as opposed to full on sets. Maybe I think we're gonna feel. Yeah. I think we're gonna see a lot of filming outside or filming indoors in existing places with small crew. Small crew, small cast. Cast a couple that's already a couple, right? That live together in a relationship drama. <laughs> exactly. Or just like doing marriage story on a small scale. Yeah. I think as far as what you can do, it would be cool to see people in NFS 60, which we mm-hmm. did eventually put all the all the videos people submitted to that are up on No Film School. A lot of people found ways to do cool, not like in their shelter in place space, found ways to do cool things that aren't necessarily just in their apartment, but but hint at a bigger world that maybe use some animation or use some, you know, cool practical effects or whatever. But I feel like this is a good time for people to expand uh, what they can do with special effects because you're going to need to have that skill set. I come from a background where we would be like, hey, we got a scene we want to shoot in a spaceship. So we'll shoot some of it in the car. We'll put green stuff outside the windows and we'll make like goofy looking planets that pass by. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. I think that that school of thought could um, come to life here because people like the indie people will have to find ways to create things or demonstrate that they have stories to tell. Maybe not the most polished uh, visual effects and finished products that can get to those more expensive solutions or get them closer to utilizing those expensive tools. But I don't know if that really answers your question, Charles, because I think it's a really good question. That makes me think of two points that I wanted to share. One is I think we're going to see more folks use stock footage libraries now. I think people are using them as placeholders maybe at some point, but they might rely on them more. And there are a lot of companies that have updated their licenses and their fees at the moment to help that out. But the other one is creative constraints, I think are a good thing. I mean, dare I say that, right? I think that there's a lot of good projects that come out because of creative constraints, right? We can only shoot this here. We can only use this technology. And basically it's every, it's exhausting probably by now in the quarantine times to have only creative constraints and not creative leverage. It's a great point though about stock footage. I hadn't thought about that. We have a lot of content on No Film School about uh, places where you can get good stock footage. You know, I, I was hoping to do a little passion project this summer. I'm going to put it off until next summer, but I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to what what little passion projects you can accomplish within yeah. the restrictions. Because, you know, summer of 21, we're probably still going to be dealing with the tail end of this or maybe still in this seriously. I mean, some people are talking about 22, which seems infinitely away. So, you know, we're just going to have to navigate this as best we can. While we navigate it, let's move on to our next headline this week. Canon this week. Yes. You know, this week was supposed to be NAB. We were all supposed to be in Vegas right now. Um, and right. Isn't it so it crazy? It's so think? much fun. <laughs> we, could, we could still go there. It's completely empty and all the hotels are closed. 
so we were supposed to be in Vegas this week for NAB. And so there's a lot of tech news coming out. Then they're going to do sort of a virtual NAB in May. Some people are holding off their press releases till then, but Canon didn't. Canon rolled out two new cameras, the R5, and they came out with the C300 Mark III. And these are uh, two cameras. The C300 Mark III is in their cinema EOS line. It's their roughly ten dollars or $11,000 cinema camera that is cinema focused. The EOS R5 is a stills camera primarily. It's their new R line, you know, full frame mirrorless uh, line that has been out since about 2018. But when the first ones came out in 2018, people felt sort of underwhelmed. They weren't really, they were excited. Canon finally was in full frame mirrorless, but it didn't feel like they were really offering something that was super competitive to what Sony had been coming out with since 2013 at that point. So they, they felt sort of behind. What's interesting about the C300 Mark III and the R5 is that a lot of reviewers and a lot of people are saying like, oh, this finally feels like Canon's in, in it to win it. Uh, the R5 does 8K internal recording. So, you know, in a stills model camera, 8K is like a phenomenal achievement. There's going to be some sort of raw recording, although we don't know quite what that is yet. And Darren's article talks sort of interestingly about like, is it going to be cinema raw light? Like that doesn't seem like a, is it going to be cinema raw? If it's cinema raw, what can you record that to? Because nobody really re- supports that. And then the cinema, the C300 Mark III is exciting for a couple of reasons. One reason I have to say is its price point. The original C300 was 15 grand. And I always felt like that was too high for what it offered. 15 grand, like, you know, a cinema camera is definitely something that's worthwhile, but like it had a super 35 sensor. Whereas I could go to a 5D Mark II at the time, the Mark III, I don't think was out yet. And I would have a full frame sensor that I could shoot this beautiful low light stuff with. And the images weren't that much. I mean, yes, the C300 images were nicer than the images you got out of a 5D, but were they five times as nice? Because a 5D was like 3,200. And the C300 was 15 grand, and it just never made sense to me. What's interesting to me is I kind of feel like $10,000 personally feels like the right price point for the C300 Mark III. And the reason why is because it has a feature called dual gain output. So a lot of people are familiar with dual ISO. Panasonic Vericam was the real one to make it popular, but you see it in a lot of cameras now where it's like they have two native ISOs. They have 800 and like 5,000 just to use the Vericam. And uh, so, and that 5,000 second native ISO will look much cleaner than if you had just taken that normal 800 and turned up the gain. It's a whole separate image processing path that gives you this nice clean 5,000 ISO image. That's been around for five or, I mean, there's a lot of cameras. It's been popular for the last five years. You see it in a bunch of different cameras. It's a good feature to understand how it works and to use. This isn't dual native ISO. This is dual gain output. What this means is that in the signal path, it's taking the image out of the sensor and it's it's splitting it and it's running it to through two signal paths at different gains um, and it combines the image to this 16 stop latitude image. Uh, Alexa is the other camera that has sort of a dual gain output set up and has for like a decade now. So this feature puts it in a category with Alexa for this this one feature is only other really commonly known out of alexa alexa still has alexa color science which Mm -hmm. canon's color science is a little different alexa still has some other features but this is a it is a big deal to see other manufacturers rolling this out it is an exciting thing and for canon to roll it out and then price it at 10.99 as opposed to you know when i first was reading it i was like oh canon please tell me this isn't twenty three thousand dollars can you tell us a little bit about the image quality difference that something like the dual 
Is it called dual ISO gain? Dual gain output. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the image quality difference? So the classic example we always give for latitude is we're always like, okay, if you're dealing with, you know, you're, you're shooting inside and you've got a scene on a bed and there's a window right by the bed. Latitude is how much information are you going to be able to see out that window? If you're shooting mm-hmm. on a really contrasty platform like a DVX 100 or, you know, like an iPhone 3 or whatever, that window is going to blow out totally to white. The whole curtain's going to blow out to white. Everything's going to be gone. The more latitude you get, the more information you're going to be able to have in wider range. So if I've got that person sitting in front of the window, a wide latitude camera, I'm going to be able to see details in their face that might go silhouette on a contrastier camera. I'm going to be able to see details outside the window that might silhouette on a contrastier camera. So that's what you're seeing, you know, and we always want wider latitude because it's always easy to throw it out in post. I can always go into post and turn my contrast up and blow out that window if I don't want to see out that window. But once it's blown out by the camera, I can never get that info back. So you want, if possible, wider latitude in camera. And it's, it's, uh, you know, the fact that they're coming out with a C300 Mark III at $10,000, the fact that this shows up first in a C300 Mark III is like a really nice sign that Canon is willing to like come in at a competitive price point with a real strong feature in a real strong swing at Sony. This is obviously like this, it would have been NAB right now. Um, these things were going to be released. We were going to hear news about these these products right now. But it's a particularly odd time because consumers, especially filmmakers, are strapped by and large for cash. So yes. it's a tough time to be enticed yeah. by tools that are exciting, um, even if they are at a price point that feels great compared to what's in the marketplace currently, the, the, the comps. Um, you know, I'm not a person who buys gear at this point in my life, but I know a lot of no film school readers and listeners are, and I saw a lot of comments about these products geared towards the, well, it's, you know, this notion that this is a challenging time to be enticed by big purchases. Should it change what prices are and will it change as the market adjusts to the new reality? And, you know, well, I mean, I think the situation might have affected the price point, to be honest. I think that yeah. is possible. You think they've changed the price point in the last three weeks? Four weeks? Four weeks? Maybe. I mean, that's, that wouldn't be the first time something like that has changed in a yeah. game day decision. I also think it's interesting that we're seeing it. I think it really matters what the price point of the product is and what the size of the company is as to whether or not they're releasing stuff right now. Like, you know, for yeah. instance, I bought... Um, from a little company, I have smart lights and I bought some smart light switches because I wanted smart light switches. And it's like a little tiny company, and I, but like they make cool stuff. And, you know, in early March, they sent an email being like, hey, guys, now that the whole world is shut down, you're not going to get these anytime soon. We're going to take this opportunity to like redesign it a little bit. It'll be slightly different, but, you know, you'll get them in the fall sometime. Just hang out. If you'd like a refund, you can have one. Otherwise, just be patient. And like that's something you can do as a small company. Yeah. If you're ramping up. You know, Canon's, you know, the design was probably finished on this camera sometime in the fall. Production probably started on this camera already before the whole thing happened. They already ramped up. They're already units. They're probably in boxes. They're probably like, and so you're a company, you've invested that capital and you want to get that capital back as quickly as you can. Because if it sits in the warehouse for a year, you know, so I think that at a certain point, some of the bigger companies are just like, all right, well, we've got them. We've made them. Let's move as many of them as we can. And I think that, you know, we're not going to be out of production forever. 
I do think that if you can wait, you probably should. And like, clearly we, you know, just based on the press releases I got in my email, I got a 10th of what I would normally get the week of NAB. I think many, many companies are like, we're going to hold off on this, or we're going to keep providing this. One of the other product releases we saw this week was some stuff from Deity. Deity is a very small company that makes very affordable sound solutions. The things they rolled out this week are very useful for like small production vlog kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're going to sell some of these in the pandemic. Like some of these are really great for like, I'm working at home, making a vlog kind of stuff. So I felt like it was really smart for them to continue to release it. There was also... By the way, the other thing that got released that we haven't talked about yet was a $30,000 20 to 250 millimeter lens that I actually thought was an Onion article like kind of <laughs> post when it came out because it's like literally the lens that covers every distance. I People are still renting gear. You could rent from lens rentals or bar lenses, things that ship out to you still. Um, and they're open during this time. That's where I think the first purchases are, right? Are they going to they're going to buy these things and rent them out? And I think we start seeing we've seen this from both Canon and, and Nikon in terms of releasing stuff that's really expensive. I'm referring to the $30,000 lens and the $8,000 knocked where that might be fun to rent for something, right? As opposed to go throw down the thousands of dollars to own, and maybe that's where this lands. So part of me is like, "Ah, eh, the price point is there and it is what it is." But folks might want to get their hands on it, may not throw down the cash. They may rent it for a short period of time. And I think we're going to keep seeing that. Um, but I also want to say thank you. Like, I love that the people are still releasing stuff. I think that there's, it gives, a, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a boost, you know, something to look forward to in these times to see like, oh, people are still creating. And no film school is still covering releases and hopefully we'll get our hands on things as well. And we'll do tests and we'll have more content on the website about all of the things that are being announced and uh, what what they can do for you, what you can do with them as, as we learn more. All right, and then up next in tech news is a release that we can actually put to use or we can if we have powerful graphics cards. DaVinci Resolve, software maker extraordinaire has come out with Resolve 16.2.1. Like I said in our lead up at the top, I almost never talk about the point releases on these things, but there's a feature in 16.2.1 that I love that we had to talk about. And that is, you know, this is something that Red has been working on for a long time. Red uh, worked quite hard with a bunch of different uh, graphics makers to implement metal support uh, on an Apple for processing red footage. So what does that mean? So um, metal is sort of the, the communication platform that Apple has developed to let software developers take full advantage of graphics processing. So, you know, there's uh, some of you might have seen this option if you're working in premiere and you know sometimes you're choosing between like the mercury engine and metal and you know it's it's a it's sort of a framework for allowing all of that graphics power to be available to software developers so red wants people to be able to play back red footage real time on their computers and it used to be like in the beginning days of red when it was just red 4k you used to be able to buy a thing called a red rocket for five grand which would allow you to play back red real time it costs an investment in hardware to be able to play back red real time on your machine Red worked um, to on their SDK for metal support so that you could play back 8K real-time on a graphics card that's around like $2,000. And that isn't just made by Red. It supports, uh, you know, the AMC Vega, the AMD Vega cards and the new Mac Pro, but it also works with NVIDIA cards that are available 
for a variety of systems. So if you're on a PC and you just have a nice NVIDIA card, you should be able to get, you know, using this new update where, so this update 16.1.2.1 is the update installing that support, that SDK, working with that SDK from Red to put that playback support into Resolve. So let's say you're running Resolve on a, you know, a random mid-level PC. You can go out and get like a GTX 280, uh, I mean 2080 or a GTX 1080 uh, graphics card. Um, and like that GTX 2080, which is not that expensive, especially compared to the Red Raw we used to spend $5,000 on. And on that 2080, you should be able to get real-time 8K Red Raw playback. That's insane. That's like the coolest thing ever. So you're at home during this pandemic, you're doing a lot of work in Resolve, which is free software, and, and you want a little more graphics power. You install this free update, you buy a new graphics card, or you upgrade the graphics card you have. Or, you know, one of the nice things about having a big box is you can put multiple graphics cards in and Resolve will use the graphics cards you put in. Like you could put three graphics cards in if you have a big PC case and Resolve will take advantage of all three. So if you're a red shooter, this is really exciting it's just like fun to have access to all of that power in a free software update there's some other updates in 16.2.1 that was the big headline one where i was like ah here we go like now we're now we're really cooking with gas but you know there's some other stuff you, you know if you're working with an nvidia gpu you're going to get better playback performance on h265 files and stuff like that but the real headline the reason why i wanted to talk about it in tech news is just like i can't believe we're finally in a place where GPU power is going to be able to play back Red Raw. Because Red Raw is a wonderful format, but it is notoriously difficult to play back on your machine. And that is for the both the free version and the studio version of yep. DaVinci? Yep, both nice. the free and the studio. Resolve does a really good job of rolling out stuff in the free version that is equally powerful. Okay, so Craig Walker has asked a really great Ask No Film School question this week, which is, I've written my first screenplay. I've had it read by people in the industry who who th agree that I have something special. Now what? Craig goes on to describe a very specific situation, which we're going to talk about a little later. I, I, I first want to answer that question. Later on, Craig says, well, I'm based in uh, the UK. My insiders are based in LA, but my story is British and I need to get connections to British insiders. And I want to answer that sort of separately because I think, actually, I'm going to go ahead and answer that first because I think it's really quick. Like, it doesn't actually, you know, Hollywood productions shoot on location all the time. So just because your movie is set in England doesn't mean your LA insiders aren't able to help you get a movie made that is shot in the UK. Many, many, many movies sh like are financed out of America and shot all over the globe. Um, the benefits of UK insiders are obviously that there are incentives and, and government incentives and things like that that are often exists or relationships at BBC or other sort of... Um, UK networks that might benefit you. But the, the bigger question remains like sort of separate from geography. You have a script, you feel like it is actually something special that is worth pursuing. Now what? It's an age old question and it's a difficult one to answer. Um, I feel like Charles, we've talked about a couple ask, we've had a couple questions in the history, in our history together on the No Film School podcast that sort of covered this similar sort of territory of you feel like you're getting a little heat off something and you're not quite sure what the best move is. And 
it's so, I mean, the, the short answer that doesn't help anybody is it's so contingent upon so many specific factors. Like, for example, who are the people, who are the insiders in LA that you've talked to? And what are their roles? What are their potential roles? What's their resume? What's their, um, what are their contacts like? And what are they telling you? You know, and how much do you trust them? And what do you, and, and then I think the biggest question of all, probably superseding anything, is what do you want to get out of the project? I think the first thing anyone should identify is something like that, because in my experience, in my limited experience with having projects, features, or anything that developed any heat in the industry, you kind of, a lot of people around you and a lot of, um, there, a lot of times someone who's a rep, like an agent or a manager, is going to try to get the biggest possible fish, which means they may push you to trying to make the biggest sale or land the biggest deal, which may not be the best thing for your career because it may have, probably does have the lowest likelihood of success. But sometimes something with heat that people like is the best way to get in the door on something else, or maybe a meeting on a different project, or maybe an opportunity to pitch, or maybe a look at an open writing assignment or an open directing assignment. So the question of what is your goal, it could be that your goal is, I this movie, I need to see this movie made. I don't care if I direct it. I don't care what happens, but this is the movie I believe in with my heart and it needs to be made. Well, that'll lead you down a certain set of choices. You could decide, I need to direct this movie. I wrote it because I want to be a director and I know the script is great and there's no way that this happens without, that's, that could be your choice too. You could be like uh, you know Sylvester Stallone with Rocky and you could be like, I need to star in this movie <laughs> because I, what I really want to do is be a movie star and I wrote it with, like, so I guess what I'm saying is there's so many personal choices, like goals for what happens next that will help you decide what you should do. If it's just, I want an agent so I can go out for other things, that's one thing. If it's, if it's I want to make as much money off it as possible, that will lead you down to certain things. If it's, I just want to get a production under my belt, you know, the, so, so, so many things can be d decided just by figuring out what you think is best for you right now with this project. That's my, that's my answer. Um, cause you can follow so many paths and there, and so many of them are out there on no film school, for example, we've written about how to get an agent or a manager, or what do you do to get in a writer's room if you want to write in TV, or how to make your own, you know, micro budget feature if that's what you really want to do with this. Um, so there's a lot of op options, but I think you're at a really exciting starting point. It sounds like that's my answer. I had the similar a similar follow up question, or rather focus that you have, George, which is what are you looking to get out of that project, right? What are you hoping for? If you're hoping for representation, it's one way. If you're hoping to make it yourself, that's another route. If you're hoping to make it yourself and get representation, that's another route. So first off, what I meant to actually start with was um, congrats, because writing and finishing a project and getting it out in the world is no small effort. And then I had the same question, George, that you have, which is what you're hoping this project either becomes or what you're hoping the role you're hoping to play in that project. 
Yeah. I, I mean, my answer comes from my experience, which is what yeah. I consider to be some of my mistakes. So I think that I didn't, and I think anybody's answer will probably reflect that to some extent. But my experience was, I didn't really think about it too much. Like, what do I want to get out of this? I was kind of like, oh yeah, I'll take it all. I'll take whatever, whatever's being offered kind of like what, yeah. what, what, what happens next? I don't know. Like I'm on, I'm on the ride, but I think if, I think every decision would have been made differently had I made a decision at the beginning of like, okay, what do I really want to see happen? Like in my career right now with this particular project, like focus in on the, on the goal. And then you make your decisions because you're trying to get to that goal. And even if it sounds like the goal is just, I want to, I want the movie to get made. Well, that's, that clarifies a lot actually, because there are some routes that have a really realistic outcome for that. And there are some that really don't that where it's more likely that you'll get the script read a lot and you'll make a lot of contacts, but the movie happening maybe isn't going to happen. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's (laughs) totally okay. Cause sometimes people get like that launches the career. Like so many times that's just what it is. And then they have a whole career based on a spec that went out and people loved totally. The only thing I would add is that like, depending upon what you want, one avenue that is increasingly popular is platforms like Slated and The Blacklist. These are sort of script discovery platforms. You pay a fee to get your script evaluated and then they go on the platform. Within that evaluation, you can build contacts there. And if your evaluation is strong enough, there are people that, you know, have gotten representation and projects made in that way. And and so if that's what you're looking for, that's one way you can go. I also think if, if your passion is just to make the movie, just make the movie. Like figure out what is doable and just go make it with your friends on weekends. Like like there's a certain amount to which like to get going, you just got to get going. So yeah. But yeah. a lot of great stuff. Uh, I, I totally agree with George. I think that's a great insight of like knowing what you want from it is the first step. And then, and then from there, just jumping into whatever it is you can do to move forward with it. The other thing I would suggest is kind of a guiding f- – make a guiding philosophy based on how much money you're willing to spend. Because what you just said about blacklist made me think about this. Like if you're willing to pay into the blacklist, that's one thing. If you're not and you're trying to keep things free, then look for free stuff. Like look for competitions and things that are free to submit to. I think that's kind of important to, to add is how much are you yes. willing to personally invest in it um, at this time could change over time. And that might guide some of your options more than decisions maybe. And then decisions amongst those options too. Throwing it in there. Just the money question. (laughs) All right, guys. So that has been the No Film School podcast for week six of our COVID pandemic. Uh, I'm Charles Hain. You can see me on Instagram and Twitter at Charles Hain. You can also check out my web series at saltypirate.tv. And I just found out my book, Color Grading 101, is being translated into both Chinese and Japanese this spring. So for any of our Chinese and Japanese listeners, uh, my book will be available for you guys sometime this fall. And any of my English-speaking listeners, those books are already out. Nice. This is Michelle Delator. You can find me on the socials at M-D-E-L-A-T-E-U-R. Thank you both for your conversations today. And thank you all for submitting your questions to us. And we look forward to talking again soon. And I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. And you can find me and tons of great content at nofilmschool.com. We have tons of coverage of the tech news that's coming from all the companies that would have been at NAB, but is being released around this time of year anyway. So keep checking back. There's stuff 
daily new things, um, new takes, new uh, drops. And we have some cool podcast interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks that we're excited about with people who have projects that uh, are still going on uh, or were already in the can and are being released. So yeah, check us out, nofilmschool.com. Find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and like and rate the podcast. Give us a comment and please always email your questions to us. Anything you have to say or comments, editor at nofilmschool.com. Thanks so much. 